Turn with me this morning to the book of Hosea, chapter number 3. Hosea, chapter number 3 this morning. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. Hosea, of course, is part of the minor prophets. In fact, the first of the minor prophets. And we know that they were not minor because of uh, any uh, lack of significance in their message or any lack of inspiration in the Word of God. But they were called minor prophets because of the volume of the book. They were smaller in size than the other prophets. And so Hosea chapter number 3, Hosea chapter number 3, I tell you what, turn back with me to chapter 1. I I normally don't do this, but turn back to chapter 1. Just a page turn. That won't hurt you too bad. And uh, let's begin at verse number 2. And uh, I've withheld some of the verses that we could read for brevity's sake, but I want you to notice with me in verse number 2, the Bible says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had waned, Lorahama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now turn with me to chapter 3, as I had you there a moment ago, and look at verse number 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who took to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for an homer of barley and an half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image and without an ephod and without teraphim. Afterward shall they see, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I need your help, Lord. I am insufficient and incapable. God, I want to thank you this morning for this wonderful group of people that has gathered here to hear your word, to hear the songs of Zion, to worship at your feet, Lord, and to seek help at your throne. But, Lord, I do not know the needs of any heart in this place. You do, and you alone. And so, Father, I pray that you would take your word, and, Lord, help me to preach it. Help me to get out of the way, Lord, and help me to allow you to take over and to do in hearts what needs to be done. Lord, use your word. Place it exactly where it needs to be in the heart of each hearer. 
Father, convict us according to your will and according to your good pleasure. Lord, help us when we leave here to know we've met with you. If there's one amongst us that's lost, undone, play in church, play in religion, but they need Christ this morning, Lord, I pray that you'd show them that need and convict them of their lost state and show them Calvary, Lord, and show them your love and show them that you'll save them today. God, I pray that all this would be done in a way that would give no one in this room glory except for you. And Father, that we'll know we've met with you and obeyed you. Father, that when we leave this place, we might say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Father, we love you. Because of Calvary, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We've skipped over a few passages of Scripture in our reading today, but we may reference them here in just a moment. This is a very unusual portion of Scripture. And if you're a Bible student, and if you've read your Bible very much, you've probably read about Hosea and his wife of whoredoms by the name of Gomer. It was very unusual, but God commanded Hosea to go and find a wife of ill repute, a wife of whoredoms, and to take her and marry her and love her and provide a home for her. And I'm sure Hosea thought to himself, well, I don't understand what God is doing in my life, but he obeyed the word of the Lord, and I'm thankful he did. Because it was given to be a prophecy and a picture of the nation of Israel. You see, they, in an idolatrous way, had committed whoredoms against their God. And they, though God had been good to them, had left their God, had followed idols, had wandered from a relationship with the true God, the God of Israel. And we see how that in chapter 3, God commends Hosea, even though that Gomer is messed up, and even though that she's made a wreck of her life, commands Hosea to go yet again and to love her and to purchase her back and to bring her back into his home. In a very strict, practical sense, we have the story of a prophet and his wayward wife. In a prophetical sense, we have the story of the nation of Israel as they've wandered from God and as God is drawing them back to Himself. But I believe in a picturesque sense, we have something else. When I read this passage, I'm struck by one overwhelming theme. And I'd like to preach to you this morning on the topic of grace greater than our sin. I've been thinking about it ever since Friday. We was in Senior Saints on Friday, and, you know, we have uh, Miss Judy Scarborough sing for us sometimes. And Well, sometimes we make her sing every time. We won't even give her food if she don't sing. Amen. But uh, she sang this song about the spot. That spot where God saved her. That spot. And each one of us, if we've truly been born again, there was a place in time that God saved us. Salvation is not a progressive matter in the attainment of it. You see, you're either saved or you're not saved. And you might say, well, I've always been saved. Well, you're wrong. You haven't always been saved. You once were lost and undone without Christ. And you have either accepted Him or you've never accepted Him. You either have a relationship with Him or you don't. And upon that depends your eternal destiny. And she sang about that spot. And, you know, I got to thinking about that spot in my life. And I could take you to the very place. Uh, in fact, I, I was telling, telling everybody I had mom and dad cut up the square carpet that was down there. And I told them on Sunday, I said, you know, that was, that was probably cheap carpet. Mama called me. She did. I'm serious. She called me. She said, son, that was Scotch Guard, Sear, I can't remember, Sherwin Williams. She gave me up the road. She said, that wasn't cheap carpet, amen. (laughs) 
But uh, that little spot, I know of a place, and you don't have to know the date and the time. I'm not saying that, but for me it was December 1st, 1997. It was about 7.30 in the evening, and uh, my parents were uh, asleep napping while their boy was dying and going to hell, amen. They was napping. And uh, I had been raised in a gospel-believing church and raised in a biblical home. And, and I knew the gospel. I knew the word of God. And God convicted my heart and showed me that I was on my way to hell. He didn't just show me I needed a change. Amen. He didn't just show me that I wasn't happy, but he showed me that I was dying and on my way to hell. And if I didn't accept him, I was going to die and go to hell. And as a 10-year-old boy, I knelt down and I asked God to save me. That's the spot in my heart, in my mind, in my life that I know of. But I got to thinking about everything that went into that spot. (laughs) I got to thinking about what it took to get me to that place. And I just sat there in amazement and tears welled up in my eyes. And I said, it had to be grace. It had to be grace that put me in a country that allows the preaching of the Word of God. It had to be grace that allowed me to be in a Bible home where the Word of God was taught. It had to be grace that allowed me to go to a Bible-believing church where the gospel was preached. It had to be grace that had done all those things in my life. You see, neighbor, if you've been saved, it's been grace from the beginning, and it'll be grace to the end. We don't deserve a thing today. We don't deserve a thing. Do you hear me? We live in the most entitlement-centered society that this world has ever known. People come out of the womb believing they're owed something. I'll tell you, neighbor, you were owed something when you came out of the womb. You were owed an eternity in hell. And it was just by the grace of God that you were saved if you've been saved. You see, when I look at Hosea and Gomer, I don't just see a prophet and his wayward wife. I don't just see the nation of Israel and their God. But when I see Hosea and Gomer, I see the God of heaven. I see the Son of God. I see the Lord of glory. And I see a ten-year-old boy that needed the Savior. I see it as a story of my life. as a story of your life if you've been saved. We find that there's a progression that takes place in the life of Gomer. It begins, uh, her and Hosea get married. And I'm sure that everything was peaceable and happy at first. And uh, the Bible says that Hosea went in unto her and she conceived. And the first child is a boy named Jezreel. Jezreel literally means God sows or the seed of God. And I'm sure that even though Hosea was commanded of God to name his son Jezreel, I'm sure that Hosea thought in his mind, this is a man given unto me from the Lord. This is a gift of God. I know this is my child, my kith, my kin, my flesh and bone and my blood and the seed of my body. A little later on, Gomer winds up pregnant again. She has another child, a child named Loruhama, a little girl. The name Loruhama uh, literally means no mercy. I will not have mercy upon you. Now, I believe there was a dispensational or prophetic reason that, that that little girl was named that because God is saying He's no longer going to have mercy on the children of Israel. But I believe maybe there was a matrimonial reason that that little girl was named that. I believe discord had entered the home. I believe probably that Hosea had doubts as to who the father of that child was. Maybe there had been one too many arguments, one too many fights. Maybe Gomer had walked out one too many times and now there's no adoration and there's no love and there's no joy in the naming of this little girl. But she's named, hath not obtained mercy, no mercy. Gomer winds up with child again. She has a little boy named Lo-Ami. 
We see the lack of confidence Hosea has because this little boy's name means not my people. It goes from Jezreel, the one that God has given him, till now this third child, Hosea, doesn't even believe it's his own child. The home was destroyed and the home was broken. By the time you get to chapter number 2, you find the story of Hosea sending those little babies to go find their mother. Why? Because she was absent. She had left the home. She had left her husband. And she's gone. You say, preacher, what are you getting to? I'm trying to show you yourself in Gomer this morning. I'm trying to show you a man uh, whose wife is alienated from him. I'm trying to show you a woman who's been used and abused by this world and is worthless. We find three things about her. First off, we see that she was a sinner. She was a sinner. She wasn't just a sinner by nature as we all are. She was also a sinner by her practice, by her actions. We all are. But she lived a life of sin. You wouldn't have looked at Gomer and expected to see her teaching a Sunday school class. You wouldn't have looked at Gomer and expected to see her in a pew on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. You wouldn't have looked at Gomer and expected her to have a relationship with God. You see, she was a sinner. She lived a life of sin. I want you to notice she was not only a sinner, but by the time we get to chapter 3, what does the Bible say? God commands Hosea to go and to purchase her. She was a sinner, but she was a slave. Can I tell you, every single lost man, woman, and child in this world is a slave to sin. That's what the Bible teaches. A lost person doesn't know what to do except to do wrong. You say lost people do good things all the time. Just because it's good doesn't necessarily mean it's right. You see, there's a difference between morality and spirituality. Morality is man's attempt, according to his conscience, to appease others and appease God through his good works. Spirituality is the mortifying of the flesh and the Spirit of Christ living through us and the Spirit of God living through us. And there's plenty of people that do things for morality's sake. You say, what's the difference? The lost man may love his family. And that's wonderful. You ought to. The Bible says if a man doesn't take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel. He's denied the faith. But he does it because his family gives him joy. He may give money to a charity, but doesn't do it out of spiritual uh, means and, and spiritual motivation. He does it because giving to a charity makes himself feel good. A lost man has no choice in the matter. He does wrong because that's all he knows how to do. You ever wonder why the Bible says if the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed? Because once you've been saved, you have the choice to do right or to do wrong. You have the choice to walk with God or to turn from God, but a lost person is incapable of doing the right thing. They may do a good thing. They may do a socially acceptable thing. But they can't do a thing that's right in the eyes of God. Because even their attempts of righteousness, the book of Isaiah tells us, are but as filthy rags. They can't do anything righteous. Notice that she wasn't just a sinner and a slave, but she was scorned. By the time we find Gomer in chapter number 3, she's on an auction block. That's what sin will do to you. You hear me? I said it earlier. Sin, sin never has helped a person. You hear me? I know that seems simple, but just stick with me. Sin has never helped a person. The devil has never helped a person. The world has never helped a person. And your flesh has never helped you. I'll tell you what sin will do. Sin will take a person and use and abuse them and leave them on an option block for the next highest bidder. Sin will take you as long as it wants to have you and then throw you to the curb. That's what it did with Gomer. 
Comer had gone and uh, she had been used to familiar homes, familiar beds, familiar men. And now all of a sudden she's on an auction block. She's not even wanted. She's not even desired. The Bible says that he paid uh, 15 shekels of silver for. You know, you look in the book of Exodus chapter 21, that's half the price of a common slave. She was worthless. She couldn't even fetch the full price of a slave. And here she is broken and scarred and rebellious and obstinate, and what's going to save her? And by the way, not every sinner that's broken is yet submissive. You hear me? There's plenty of people that sin has left them broken and shattered, but still they shake their fist at God. Still they thumb their nose at the Almighty. Still they say, it's your fault, and it's not my fault. That was Gomer. Gomer still didn't want to come home. Comer was still sick of it. Comer still didn't want to be with her husband. Sin had wrecked her. And she was so blinded by her sin, she couldn't even see that it was her sin that had done it to her. Here's the picture of Gomer. But we find that she had a husband that loved her. I don't know. Maybe it's because I know what I'm going to preach. And that means more to me when I say it than it does to you. I don't know. But she had a husband that loved her. Here was an unlovable woman, but there was somebody that loved her. Here was an undesirable woman, but someone desired her. Here was an uncared for woman, but there was somebody that cared about her. God gives the command to Hosea and says, Hosea, go, yet love a woman, beloved of her friends, yet an adulteress. Says, Hosea, go get your bride. Let me tell you something, neighbor, that's grace. Gomer didn't deserve that. Gomer didn't deserve that. I mean, most of us, we would have rode her off after the first time she didn't come home, right? Most of us would have said, you made your bed, now lie in it. Most of us would have said, you've chosen your path, now walk it. Most of us would have said, you've messed up one too many times. The door's locked, the light's off. Just walk on. Don't even stop here. And yet there was somebody that was willing to love her. You say, what does that matter to me, preacher? Because you are born into this world a sinner. You hear me? A sinner. You don't know how to do right. All you know how to do is wrong. You say, are you calling me a bad person? No, I'm not calling you a bad person. You may be as good of a sinner as you can possibly be, and that won't get you to heaven. You're not just a sinner, you're a slave. You're a slave to sin. One of the most pitiful things in the world is to try to see a lost person trying to live for God. I've seen it time and time and time and time again. People that are lost, undone, the Spirit of God does not live inside them, but still they try to come through the doors Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, still they try to pray, still they try to read their Bible. Eventually they become disillusioned. They become Pharisees. Because all they can find is the means. They can't find the end of the matter. All they can find is the means to have a relationship with God. But they can't find the relationship. They're a slave to sin. And they're scorned. You're scorned. The world has no interest in helping you whatsoever. But I'm thankful for four things. I just want to say them real quick this morning. You bear with me. I may get just a little emotional. Look at verse number one with me again. Y'all all right? Everybody's real quiet in here this morning. Everybody okay? 
Wake up. <laughs> Look at verse number one. The Bible says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who took to other gods and loved flagons of wine. You can mark it down. Number one, we see that the first thing grace did is that grace sought her. Grace came looking for Gomer. Her husband came looking for her. Listen, neighbor, Gomer wasn't looking for Hosea. Hosea came looking for Gomer. And let me tell you what happened. If you look back in your life, if you're saved this morning, you look back, you'll find out that grace pursued you. You'll find out that grace came looking for you. You'll find out that though you did everything you could to get away from God, grace made sure that you had the gospel in your life. You say, preacher, are you talking about unconditional election? No, I'm not talking about unconditional election. I'm not talking about God foreordaining some to hell and some to heaven. I'm merely saying that God loves us enough to chase us into the belly of a whale if He has to. The grace of God is a pursuing thing. Grace came and sought and found her where she was at. I'm thankful I didn't have to get to where God was to be saved. In fact, the whole reason we have a Savior is because we can't get to where God's at to be saved. Someone has to come to us. Grace came and sought you. Grace came and sought me. You say, why were you born into a country that allows Bible preaching? Because grace sought me. You say, why were you born into a Bible-believing home? Because grace sought me. You say, why were you born into a Bible-believing church? You had a pastor and a man of God that preached the Word of God because grace sought me. You say, why was it that as a ten-year-old boy you were alone in your room because grace sought me? Why was it that your parents had prayed for you and you had a praying mama and daddy because grace sought me? And listen to me, neighbor, every single thing that God's given you in your life is grace seeking you. That's what that is. You say, why am I in this church this morning? Because grace is seeking you. You say, why do I have a Bible sitting on my nightstand? Because grace is seeking you. You say, why did God put that person in my life that shares the Word of God with me? Because grace is seeking you. Grace came and found her where she was at. She didn't have to clean up before God would save her. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad that we didn't have to be good enough for salvation? If we had to wait until we were good enough to have for heaven, we'd all be in hell today. Grace sought us. You say, are you telling me that you can't resist the Holy Spirit. No, you can resist the Holy Spirit. That's what Stephen said in the book of Acts, chapter number 7. Let me, I'll tell you what, you give me half a second. Let me just blow Calvinism right out of the water so I can preach the rest of this sermon without you worrying about it, okay? We see the total depravity of man spoken of by the Calvinists, but the Bible says that God has given to every man the measure of faith. We find unconditional election spoken of by the Calvinists. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see limited atonement spoken of by the the Calvinist, that Christ only died for a select few. But I read my Bible in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and I see that He tasted death for every man. We see irresistible grace spoken of by the Calvinist that you can't resist the Holy Spirit. They're going to have to argue with that old preaching deacon Stephen because he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of hearts as your fathers did, so do ye. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. And they believe in the perseverance of the saints. You say, don't you believe in that? No, I believe in the preservation of the Spirit of God. The Bible says it's possible for a man to get so far from God that he forgets that he's been washed from his old sins. I believe the sinner can get backslid on God. I believe the sinner can fail God. But I believe the saint can fail God. And I believe even though the saint fails God, that God never fails him. We clear on all that. Amen. All right, then let me say grace sought her. 
Grace came looking for her. But look at verse number two with me. I like this. The Bible says in verse number two, so I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and an half homer of barley. Grace didn't just seek her. Grace sought her, first off. Secondly, Grace bought her. You see, you couldn't just walk off with Gomer. There's price had to be paid. Can I say to you, God couldn't just forgive you. Price had to be paid. He couldn't just look at you and say, all right, you're forgiven. No problem. No harm, no foul. You offended a holy God, neighbor, and so did I. Listen, we were destined to hell eternally. Someone had to pay a price. The Bible says in the Old Testament that the soul that sinneth it shall die. God said to Adam and Eve that if you eat of the fruit... By the way, He did not say if you touch the fruit. The devil added to the Word of God when he tried to tell Eve that. He said if you eat of the fruit, that you shall surely die. And God put a death sentence upon sinners. And me and you were born sinners. The Bible says, for by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men and that all have sinned. When Adam sinned and fell, we sinned and fell. We didn't sin after the same similitude of him. That's what the book of Romans tells us. But we're all born sinners into this world. God has been offended. God's holiness has been trampled upon. God's righteousness has been uh, contradicted. What's he going to do? He's got two choices. He can condemn the world to hell. Or... He can betray his own holiness. And we know neither of those things were pleasing to the heart and mind of God. (laughs) Oh, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. What did God do? But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That He might be both just and the justifier, the book of Romans tells us. Let me tell you what God did. God paid your price. God paid your price. You owed a debt you could not pay. But God paid that debt for you. God sent His Son into the world. Knew no sin, did no sin, in Him was no sin. The Bible says, for it hath made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He came to this world, uh, born of a woman, born under the law, when the fullness of time had come. And He died for those, to redeem those that were under the curse of the law. Because of the Word of God, because of the holiness of God, you deserve to die and go to hell. But the Savior from on high came down from heaven, lived a perfect life, perfect life, perfect life, and died on a rugged cross to pay your sins and my sins. You couldn't have done it, neither could I. If that ain't love, tell me what is. Public school spends millions of dollars every year with guidance counselors trying to tell kids that they're loved. And you know how they do it? They say, uh, yes, we, we've got here we've got uh, number 6,896. Come on in here. And they spend about two hours telling them how special they are. Then they just herd them back into the rest of them, right? They spend millions of dollars. I could save them a lot of money. They get an old leather lung high blood pressure bug-eyed Baptist preacher to get in there with the Word of God and teach these kids that though this world does not love them, though this world has no use for them, though the devil would see them destroyed, though the flesh would fail them, that there's a God in heaven that loved them enough to pay a price for them. That'd fix a lot of them, wouldn't it? We see that grace sought her. We see that grace bought her. 
But I want you to look with me at verse number 3. The Bible says, And I said unto her, this is Homer or Hosea speaking to Gomer, And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. We see that grace sought her. We see that grace bought her. But we see that grace taught her. You know what the Bible says in the book of Titus, chapter number 2, verse 11, says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace not only saves a man, grace sanctifies a man. Not only positionally, but practically in his everyday life. Now, listen, I'm not saying that uh, that sinless sanctification, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying the eradication of the flesh. I'm merely saying this. The only reason you can live for God is because you have the grace of God bestowed upon you through the salvation of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within your heart and life. I'm glad that grace has taught me what's right and what's wrong. You hear me? I'm glad. Listen, I know, I know I'm a preacher and I know we're, we're, I'm about to sell the whole thing down the river. I'm about to give it away. Alright, so just listen carefully. But I'm thankful I don't need any man to teach and tell me what's right and wrong. The Word of God applied by the Spirit of God, who is the unction, the Bible calls him, the teacher of us, can show me what's right and what's wrong. I'm glad we don't have an ecclesiastical hierarchy. I'm glad I don't have to confess my sins to a priest or go to a priest to gain learning and understanding in the Word of God. I'm glad that the grace of God is able to teach me these things. We find three things that grace taught her. Look carefully with me. Look at verse number 3. Again, it says, And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Titus said, Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Teaches her first off about sanctification, about getting sin out of her life, And living a holy life. Can I tell you that every single believer is called to holiness? Every single one. Me and my wife were talking about it on the way in this morning. This may upset somebody, but just turn your upsetter off and you'll be okay. (laughs) We were riding in on the way this morning. We were talking about the contemporary movement. And the contemporary movement has turned almost mystic in its teachings. You say, what do you mean? They've given away the idea of calling sin by name preaching a practical, holy life in favor of speaking and teaching, I don't know that I'd call it preaching, on yielding to the Holy Spirit, on prayer life, on on a deeper relationship with God. Now you say, why does that matter, preacher? Shouldn't we have preaching on that? Not if you're riddled with sin in your everyday walk. You don't need to worry about your prayer life. You need to worry about repentance. Amen? But you see, what they've done is they've taken these deeper doctrines of the Word of God. They've taken books by people like Leonard Ravenhill, people like Andrew Murray that spoke of a deep relationship with God, and they've retranslated the language and tried to convey it to just be people's everyday emotionalism uh, as that is their walk with God. That's not your walk with God. You can tell me you have a deep relationship with God all you want. You can tell God that, but if you're not living for God, He doesn't believe you and neither would I. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, that's simple, isn't it? If you love me, keep my commandments. But they've given away preaching on holiness. Why? Because it convicts. It's the acid test. It shows whether you mean business in your walk with Christ or not. Are you really willing to walk with God? We see that he taught her about sanctification. 
said you're going to not play the harlot anymore. I believe we ought to be holy in our everyday lives. Look with me again at verse 3 at the next part. Listen to what it says. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. Taught her about sanctification. But listen to what Titus said. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Taught her about separation. You still with me this morning? Separation is worthless if it's not separation from sin to God. i tell you what a lot of people have done in churches today. They've separated from sin, but they've not separated to God. They've quit doing what they were doing, but they've not grown any deeper in their relationship with God. We see that when we separate, we're separating not just from the world, but we're separating closer to God. It's not just that we're not living in open sin, but it's that we're walking with Him in our every single day of the matter. We see that He taught her of sufficiency. He said, I will also be for thee. You know what He taught her? Gomer, if you'll walk with me, I'll walk with you. You hear me? You hear me? I know that's not doing backflips and snorting and stomping. But he taught Gomer, Gomer, if you'll walk with me, I'll walk with you. If you'll abide with me, I'll abide with you. He taught Gomer that he'd be her sufficiency if she'd only walk with him. Looking for that blessed Hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God teaches us by grace that He meets our needs. God teaches us by grace that, that He's all we need. God teaches us, hey neighbor, how many of you can remember a time when that billfold was empty but God met your need? How many of you can remember a time when that little baby was sick and you're sitting in an emergency room but God met your need? What do you think taught you that? Grace. That was the grace of God that He met your need. And grace taught you what? That He meets your needs. That was the grace of God that He raised that little child up and kept it from being something worse than what it was. Raised them up and kept them from being sicker than what they were. That was grace. And grace taught you that God is able to provide for you and your family. I want to give you one final thing and I'm going to hush. Thank you for sticking with me as long as you have. Don't look at the clock. You'll faint. Amen. (laughs) Look at verse 5. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God. David their king shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Prophetically, this is speaking of the millennial kingdom. You believe in a millennial kingdom this morning, don't you? This is speaking of the millennial kingdom. When it speaks of David their king, it's not speaking of uh, David in a personal sense, but in a prophetic sense that David pictured Christ on the throne during the millennial reign. And so what it's really saying is that there'll come a day for the nation of Israel when they'll look back and speak of the goodness of God and speak of how God has preserved them. But where are we going to be at that time? The Bible teaches, I know I'm going to just, I'm going to shiver your timbers. Stick with me, okay? I know we've all been taught we're going to die and go to heaven and be in heaven forever. But you read your Bible and rightly divide the word of truth. You find that we're going to be in heaven when we're raptured out or when we die, but that we're coming back uh, to this earth with the Lord when He comes back in power and in glory upon a white horse with a name written on His thigh, King of kings, Lord of lords, and He's going to set up an earthly kingdom. When he sets up that earthly kingdom, the Bible says those that have been faithful with him will reign with him. So I believe not only Israel will speak of the goodness of God during the millennial kingdom, but I believe you and I are going to speak of the goodness of God in the millennial kingdom. 
And I believe we could say about Gomer that grace sought her. I believe we could say that grace bought her. I believe we could say that grace taught her. But I believe Gomer would tell you that grace brought her safely home. She's speaking of the goodness of God. She's speaking of how God has led and guided her. Now here she is, back at home with her husband, back at home with her family. There she is. She can kiss those little babies at night. She can crawl into an honest bed at night, snuggle up to that husband of hers, and she can speak of the goodness of God and His mercy and His grace. I think one of these days we're going to speak of how grace sought us. As a lost sinner undone without Christ, grace sought me and sought you. I believe we're going to speak about how grace bought us and paid the price, paid that redemption silver. Silver is always a picture of redemption in the Word of God. Paid that redemptive price for you and for me. I believe we're going to speak about how grace has taught us that denying ourselves, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope uh, and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe we're going to speak of that. But I believe we're going to say with the millions on high, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I did come. <laughs> it was grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace has led me home. I believe we're going to speak about the grace of God. I believe we're going to testify about the grace of God. I don't know what heaven's going to be like, and I don't know what the millennial earth is going to be like. I can guess, I can surmise, I can speculate. But neighbor, one thing that I believe is going to occupy it is the praise of the God of heaven. I believe. You say, why is it eternal? Because it's going to take that long to praise Him for all of His goodness. It's going to take that long. You said, why don't the angels praise Him for His grace? Because the angels don't know nothing about it. Amen. Oh, the angels shall join with us and sing and make the chorus ring. But when we come to sing redemption story, they'll shut their mouths and fold their golden wings, for they know not the joy that Christ's salvation brings. They don't know what it is to be blood washed. They don't know what it is to be redeemed. They don't know what it is to be sought by grace, bought by grace, sought by grace, and brought by grace into the presence of the Almighty God of heaven. They don't know what that's like, neighbor. But we'll sing a new song. Why is it a new song? Because the angels don't know it. They can't sing it. <laughs> it's going to be new to heaven. It's never been sung before. The angels can't make that chorus ring. But we'll sing it. We'll sing it. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know. Old John Newton would have felt flattered if we had said that it would be amazing grace. Sing it with me. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Oh, it sought me, didn't it? Was gross, was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What's the second verse? That taught my heart to fear and grace. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! <laughs> How precious did that grace appear the hour 
I first believed through many dangers, tolls, and snares. I have already come. What was it? His grace had brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Grace has brought us, though, when we've been there ten thousand years. Bright shining as the sun, we've no less days. <laughs> We're going to need all of them, ain't we? <laughs> yes, hallelujah. And when we first begun, 